Good morning, and uh, thanks for joining us today at a very special uh, edition of our uh, Market Insights webinar. Um, we've, I'm delighted to have uh, our Global Chief Strategist, uh, Dr. David Kelly, with us today, uh, who will share with us his thoughts on uh, the Fed meeting last night, but more importantly, uh, the risk of recession in the U.S., uh, corporate earnings outlook, and also a hot topic, uh, 2024 uh, U.S. presidential election. So, David, thanks for joining us uh, this morning in, in Asia. I'm very glad to be here uh, in Tokyo and joining you. Thank you. So uh, just a very quick recap of uh, what happened with the Fed last night before I uh, come to David on, on his thoughts. So uh, no change in policy rates as expected. I think uh, both the uh, the statement and the comments from uh, Chairman Jay Powell are really just put away uh, the, the, the any probability or any material chance of a Fed cut uh, as early as March, even though I think a lot of the comments still center around uh, the optionality of uh, lower interest rates later in the year, as long as we see more um, consistent decline in inflation. Uh, but I think that, that uh, still, in terms of market reaction, we did see uh, the stock market correct to some extent, uh, but interestingly, 10-year yields was down about 10 basis points. So that's an interesting conundrum. Uh, but overall, I think the ongoing uh, change or correction in expectations of how aggressive or how early the Fed could cut uh, is still putting some market, uh, some pressure on the market as of right now. So, David, um, let's start with the Fed. Um, obviously, they've been quite clear uh, since uh, December last year that they are not only focusing on inflation, but also a bit more balance in their policy outlook. Uh, but still, um, you know, they are in no hurry or urgency to start cutting. So, what's your view on uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell and his team in terms of monetary policy making in 2024? Well, I think sort of as a backdrop to, to the meeting today and the statement today, I think the most important thing is if you look at the summary of economic projections that the Federal Reserve put out in December, and they do that four times a year uh, in March, June, September, and December. But if you look at their projections from December, they said that they thought that economic growth in 2023 would be 2.6% year over year in the fourth quarter. Uh, the problem is that number came in at 3.1%. So the economy is clearly exhibiting much stronger growth than the Federal Reserve expected. Now, inflation is on a steady downward track. It, it, it's essentially meeting all the Fed's requirements at this stage. Uh, but growth is just significantly stronger than they thought. And they don't see any urgency, any need to move aggressively with monetary policy, even if inflation is coming down, because they, they see this strong economy. I think what, what uh, Jay Powell was trying to do today is really um, push back on market expectations that the Fed might cut in, in March or might be teeing up uh, you know, five and perhaps six rate cuts this year. At the moment, the Fed isn't doing that. I think the main point today was the Fed trying to uh, really saying to markets, you know, we're in a good situation. The, the growth is good. Um, inflation is coming down. Uh, and we, we will at some stage cut rates. Um, but uh, don't get ahead of yourselves here. We're not going to be as aggressive as the market seems to be pricing in because, frankly, growth is too strong for early easing. So when do you expect, uh, what's a realistic time frame for the Fed to start cutting and how much will they uh, relax much policy in 2024, maybe in 2025? Yeah, so I, th I think the, 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 the three, two scenarios, no recession and recession. At the moment, I would say the probability of recession in 2024 in the United States 
is well below 50%. Uh, we don't see a reason for a recession to break out this year. But, uh, you know, as you go into 2025, the risk of recession starting before the end of 2025 is probably closer to 50%. But if you have no recession, then even though the inflation story is getting better, the Federal Reserve is going to take its time. In the summary of economic projections from December, they're looking at three rate cuts in uh, 2024. And the most logical sequence would be to do that during those remaining meetings where they actually put out projections. Uh, now, as, as you said, and, and I agree, the Fed has remade it clear that March is not likely. So that means they could cut rates in June, September, and December. That gives them three rate cuts. I think that's what they do if we avoid recession. I think they will continue at that very slow, steady pace um, in 2025, maybe accelerated a bit, but but maybe not, provided the economy is strong. There's just no reason for them to move, move aggressively. But if the economy falters and, and falls into recession, then they will, it's, it's not asymmetric, or so it's not symmetric. They will cut rates a lot, and they could easily cut rates by 300 basis points. And so when you look at the futures market, you say, well, why is the futures market pricing in five or six rate cuts when the Fed's only saying three? Well, the futures market's really coming up with a weighted average of the probabilities here. You know, if there is a recession, then you're going to get a big set of rate cuts. If there, there isn't, you get a very, very small rate cuts. And, and a sort of weighted average of that gives you these five or six rate cuts in, in 2024. So I think that's, um, you know, I think that's where, where, the, where the Federal Reserve is right now. Um, but as I say, the, the U.S. economy is still pretty strong right now, and I don't think uh, I, I don't think the the Fed is going to move aggressively. And on quantitative tightening, I think they will. They talked about you know they they will put together a plan on that, but they're not ready uh, on on phasing out quantitative tight, uh, tightening. Uh, but they're going to take their time in actually implementing that. And it's quite possible they put in some rate cuts while they can maintain this rebalancing of the or reduction in the balance sheet so long as the economy is still healthy. Great, David. And, and you touch on the point about uh, the uh, recession risk in the US. I think look, I think uh, one of the big surprise, well, not a surprise, but certainly something that a lot of economists and, and strategists have uh, overstated was the recession risk of 2023. Um, in the context of aggressive tightening by uh, not just the Fed, but policy makers or central bankers around the world. Um, and, but as, as we get into 2024, I think the uh, soft landing camp has certainly grown, uh, including mm -hmm. ourselves. Um, what are some of the uh, key factors that you think is going to support or, or allow for an orderly deceleration of the U.S. economy? Yes, so I think the key thing is to understand why was 2023 so good for the U.S. economy. I mean, you got that three that 3.1 percent year-over-year growth in the fourth quarter. Uh, you had the you know, 2.7 million jobs created, the unemployment rate staying below at or below four percent for over two years, which is the longest period of you know, unemployment that low that we've seen since the 1960s, um, and inflation coming down. So, but why did why did the was growth that strong? I think there the key is. First of all, consumer spending. It's always about consumer spending in the U.S. Uh, and consumer spending just kept on growing. It's not that we had, um, there, there was some talk that we were running out of the stimulus money, and so consumers wouldn't have this extra money. But American consumers are willing to borrow. And so long as banks are willing to lend to them, uh, they will tend to spend more than they should. It's just a national characteristic. 
So you, you so I think that that really helped the economy continue to grow. Um, and the other thing is, we thought the higher rates might cause some bigger downdraft in investment spending, but but a lot of companies have got a, a very good balance sheets. Um, they need to invest because of the potential for AI and the lack of available workers. The government was giving them incentives to invest in new manufacturing facilities or in the green transition. So there were a lot of things supporting investment spending. The fact that investment spending stayed, stayed strong and consumer spending stayed strong, that's really what helped the economy get through 2023. And to some extent, that's going to happen again this year. Now, growth will slow. There, there's, we're not going to do another 3.1%. Frankly, we don't have the workers to do it. Uh, but I do think that uh, we could uh, we could easily see close to two percent real GDP growth in in 2024, uh, and that really would be uh, a very uh, successful and satisfactory outcome. Uh, given given you know as you say, a lot of people were worried that we would be in recession by now. And you mentioned earlier that um, inflation is coming down. We've come a long way uh, from eight nine percent in inflation in the U.S. to where we are around 3%. We're not quite there yet in terms of hitting that 2% target by the Fed. Um, is the heavy lifting done in terms of inflation coming down, or, the, or rather the low-hanging fruits of inflation coming down has been plugged? Is it going to take a little bit longer to just to squeeze that extra 1% out of the current inflation situation? Well, I mean, technically the answer is yes, because uh, you know I think it could take most of this year to take one, uh, one extra percent, uh, percent out of inflation. And of course, the inflation rate in the United States has come down. If you look at CPI, it's come down from a peak of 9.1% year over year in June of 2022 to 3.3% in December of last year. So, you know, by that measure, if it comes from, it goes from nine to three in 18 months, and it goes from three to two in, you know, six to 12 months, then the rate of decline in inflation has diminished. But I don't think inflation is sticky here. Um, I think there are two ways of looking at this, which gets you to sort of the same answer. One of them is to think about, well, why has it, you know, why did inflation lie dormant for 40 years in the United States? I mean, we had inflation in the 1970s, and then nothing happened uh, until, until the pandemic. Inflation was basically flat to down for 40 years. And I think that's because of information technology, which really empowers buyers. I think it's because of uh, greater inequality. Uh, which tended to funnel money towards buying financial assets rather than buying goods and services. And so that took some of the pressure off inflation. Um, and um, and then I think also the decline in trade unions. I mean, back in the 1970s, we had a lot of strikes. A lot of the private sector was unionized. Today, only 6% of the private sector in the United States is a member of the union. Uh, and I think that all helped hold down wages. So this is a long-term trend. It was interrupted by the pandemic and by Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But as those effects fade, we're going to get back onto that long-term track. So I think the long-term track is it's very hard for inflation to stay at 3%. Um, if you if you, you can look at it from another perspective, just technically, uh, about two-thirds of the inflation, more than two-thirds of the inflation today, is coming from rent, owner's equivalent rent, and auto insurance. Those three categories all lag. We have better data on what's going on on the actual transactions in those markets. We know that those numbers are going to come down throughout this year. So unless something else spikes up, inflation also will come down to 2%. So either whether you look at it in terms of long-term trends or short-term short dynamics, you still end up with the same story that inflation will come down to 2%, barring some shock. Of course, you could have some shock in the Middle East um, or something to do with oil prices. 
would be the most likely candidate. But in but barring a shock, I think it's you know inflation's not going to rebound. It's not going to stick. I think it is going to come down. I think uh, you know one of the questions to Jay Powell today was, well, you know, is inflation could re inflation rebound? He said, you know, the much the thing that he really worries about is not rebounding. He said it sticks at three percent, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to keep coming down. Right. So, uh, so basically, I think uh, just to briefly summarize uh, what we've discussed so far, we've got inflation coming down. Uh, we've got growth uh, decelerating to some extent because some of the um, policy stimulus or some of the momentum that we saw in the last few years is is, is coming off. But we're not uh, running into a severe downturn, and this will allow the Fed to um, to 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 relax oh, sorry relax monetary policy in an orderly fashion rather than facing a financial crisis or hard recession and they have to cover yeah. it aggressively. Um, with all that in mind, um, I think a lot of Asian clients, uh, they obviously invest in uh, US equities, which have done very well last year, especially mm -hmm. uh, a very small number of tech companies. Um, what is your outlook for corporate earnings? Because if you look at, for example, market consensus right now, or industry consensus right now, is for S&P 500 to hit 11, 12% EPS growth in 2024. Um, look, the reality is if last year earnings growth was barely you know, in, in, in low single digit, we've got weaker growth. Uh, we may still have some cost pressure for a lot of the businesses. Is 11, 12% seems a little too optimistic? Um, yes, I think it is. Uh, the, the first headwind the company is going to face this year, much more than they did last year, is that you've got this decelerating inflation and decelerating growth. So, you know, last year, as I said, by the by the end of the year, you're looking at about just over 3% inflation, just over 3% growth. That gives you about 6% nominal GDP year over year. Uh, this year, I think that number by the fourth quarter is going to be about 4%. So you've got a significant decline um, in uh, the rate of growth in sales, rate of growth in nominal GDP. So I think that's that's uh, that's part of the problem. Um, I do think the companies have been, will be relatively uh, good at maintaining margins, um, but it's just very hard to get double-digit earnings growth out of a low single-digit nominal GDP growth rate. Um, so I, you know, and I think when you look at the analysts, I don't really trust analyst forecasts anyway. We're, we're it's not like they're not really unbiased forecasts. What we find is that analysts tend to um, put in very optimistic forecasts um, for you know a year out, um, but then as that as you approach that date, they're they're busy chopping away at those forecasts, having discussions with management, and usually they manage to get their forecasts down so low just before the start of the earnings season that the company is all surprised on the upside, and then everybody's happy. Um, so uh, I, I I don't really trust those. I wouldn't normally trust analyst estimates over the next two years, but just looking at the macro situation. Yeah, I think we can get we can get positive profit profit growth, maybe you know four, three, four, five percent. I don't think we're going to get twelve percent. David, we talked about uh, the economy, the Fed. Uh, we touched on corporate earnings. Um, obviously, this is a big year for elections, not just in the U.S. but also for around the world. But uh, maybe less focus on the U.S. for the time being. We've had mm -hmm. uh, two primaries so far. Um, first of all, I mean, is there any value? in trying to predict uh, who's going to win. Um, and, and more importantly, uh, I think one question I've been getting a lot um, talking to clients across APAC is, uh, should investors be uh, almost 
the extreme case would be avoiding to invest before an election year? Uh, or what would be your recommendations to investors in APAC when it comes to the U.S. Uh, elections? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I mean, the broad piece of advice I usually give people is don't let how you feel about politics overrule how you think about investing. Um, the, you know, the what we've seen is both in terms of really economic growth and the stock market, uh, they have done very well in the United States under uh, Democratic control of the White House and Congress, Republican control of the White House or Congress, or what's more typical, divided government. Whatever the the, the, the scenario is, it, it it you tend to get pretty good performance in both stocks and bonds on average. So I don't think we should. You know, people may have strong views, and I think they do have strong views on uh, at least one of the candidates, if not both of the candidates. But uh, but they shouldn't let that dissuade them. I believe from investing based based on history. Um, in terms of how this election is going to play out, there are a few things that are perhaps obvious to um, Americans looking at this that may not be obvious uh, overseas. Yes, technically we've had two of the primaries, but barring an absolute shock um, or a medical event, and we'll come back to that, uh, it's very likely that uh, the two candidates will be Joe Biden and Donald Trump um, in on the, uh, on the Democratic side, it, it will be Joe Biden. There's no credible challenger to Joe Biden uh, unless he, for some reason, decides not to run again. Uh, and at the moment, he's got every intention of running again. Uh, and he said so. Um, and then on the Republican side, um, you know, Nikki Haley uh, came, uh, you know, did reasonably well in, in New Hampshire, but still fell very far short of what Donald Trump achieved. Um, there's going to be there's going to be a primary in South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state. I mean, she was governor there, and she's going to lose that very badly. So, you know, th there is nothing in the data which suggests in the in the in the polls, the polling, or what we know about it, to suggest anything other than it's going to be Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden. I will say that in both cases, I mean, you're talking about Donald Trump will be 78 on election day. Joe Biden will be 82. It's really rather remarkable. Um, just how old these candidates are, but that does raise the risk of well, could one of them have some unfortunate medical issue between now and uh, the the conventions in the summer, or now and election day? And that is possible, uh, but barring that, it's going to be a, a Trump Biden rematch. Um, and you know, for investors, I think it's important to recognize that, but also not to be overly. Uh, worried about um, a particular a potential outcome because, first of all, if you have divided government, you'll have checks and balances anyway. And even if um, you get a an election, of, if Donald Trump is elected, um, I know he, you know, he, the, we had, uh, you know, he was somewhat uh, volatile in his first term, and you know, people have got pretty strong opinions about him as a person. Um, but I don't think he's an ideologue. I think you know he 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 can throw tantrums because uh, he doesn't like this leader or that leader, or he's got some view that everybody's out to get America. But he he is in his business. He always has been a pragmatist. He's, he's quite happy to do business with whomever, um, and really is about uh, you know I think his view on running for election has a lot more to do with you know what his. Uh, his um, personal situation, his court cases and so forth, rather than any particular policy stance. So I don't think you're going to have to deal with a, or the rest of the world is going to have to deal with a very strong policy uh, pivot from the United States, uh, at least on trade. 
um, even if Donald Trump is, is elected president again. Maybe I can take a look just a little deeper on that point. Um, so there is a maybe an overgeneralization that if uh, a Republican candidate, Donald Trump in this case, wins, uh, it'll be less regulation, potentially taxes stay low or even go lower. Um, you know, maybe traditional energy sector like oil and gas uh, will be looked after. Whether uh, instead, if if uh, 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 President Biden get reelected. Uh, it may be more for new energy, maybe uh, higher taxes. How, uh, would you agree with that? Or, um, again, some, the checks and balances will, 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 will even things out? Yeah, some of it. I, I think that on energy, yes, I think a Republican administration would be more uh, pro-fossil um, fuel energy. Um, you know, they've got uh, strong support in some of the states that produce coal, like uh, Wyoming and West Virginia. Um, and of course, oil like uh, Texas, uh, Louisiana, uh, Oklahoma. So um, their political base uh, would tend to support fossil fuel energy, and I think that's that that's that much is correct. Um, on taxes, though, no, not really, because the the problem is on taxes is there's no money to you know the the U.S. is running big budget deficit, and so it would be very hard for a, a leader, um, whoever wins. To propose big tax cuts, particularly if the economy is at full employment and people are worried about inflation, and and equally even on on tariffs, uh, the problem is that tariffs are inflationary. I mean, they also diminish economic growth around the world, but they're inflationary. And while it might have been easy enough to take the risk of inflation uh, in Donald Trump's first term, which started in 2016, um, I think there'll be a lot more pushback today on anything that might push up uh, consumer inflation um, in 2024 or 2025, given. What we've all been through. So I, I think uh, I don't expect to see uh, significant policy changes, even if we have a Trump administration. So, David, thank you so much for spending an hour with us today. Uh, I would love to have you back uh, later in the year when we have the uh, US elections. Uh, we've done that for the last uh, two elections now. I think it's uh, the, the 6th of November. I would love to have your time as well uh, with our clients in, in APAC. Um, so thanks again. And of course, if there are any additional questions for myself or for David, um, after this call, please reach out to your JP Morgan client advisors, uh, and they'll be very happy to pass your questions to us uh, going forward. So thanks again, David. Sure. Thank you. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine together with their own financial professional, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be appropriate to their personal goals. 
Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks, the value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.